0: Okay, so welcome back to Default Global. This is where we dive into chats with entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all corners of the globe. And we're super excited to have Kimberly Bringas, remote work advocate, joining us today. Kimberly, it's fantastic to have you today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm excited to just talk about remote teams and how to grow them.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Kimberly, with your background in tech, in remote work, in leadership, you have developed expertise in areas like team building and remote processes, right? So could you briefly introduce yourself and share what led you to become a a remote work advocate?
1: Absolutely. I joke that I didn't find remote work. Remote work found me. So I've been in tech my entire career, a little over 12 years, and I've been remote for eight Now, it was through my last company, Olark, that I pivoted into the remote space. And I originally joined Olark mainly because I loved the values. I really connected with the leadership team. It just seemed like a great company to work for, and they just happened to be remote. And over time, I started pivoting more into the more uh, HR, people processes kind of side of things. But there was this additional layer because the team's remote. And at the time, this is before the pandemic, before there was kind of this global remote experiment. So there weren't a ton of remote best practices. So I kind of was learning as I was going. And this was kind of one of the big lessons I learned of how important it is when there aren't a lot of answers to have the openness and willingness to seek out community and other expertise to help along the way. And it's really nice now because I'm in the position to be able to give back and to you know, join hosts like you vet and be able to mm-hmm. talk about remote work and best practices.
0: Okay, sounds great. Sounds great. Um, so probably my first question would be, um, can you can you probably share your insights on the best practices for building strategic and diverse teams in a war in a remote work environment, right? So especially for um, entrepreneurs who are new to remote work and you to global hiring?
1: Absolutely. So the first piece of it is as kind of, especially if you're in the smaller stage, you're really starting to to build your company, be very key on what your North Star is. So that can be your core values. It can be your mission, maybe a combo of the two. Mm -hmm. And it's important because especially when you're starting out, and then a bunch of things change. It could be you're growing a team, you're getting funding, maybe you're acquiring a smaller company, or being being acquired. There's a lot of things that could happen. Having right. that dedicated fixed point that you're always moving towards, knowing you'll never fully achieve it, but it's meant to be aspirational, does a couple of things. It helps the company stay grounded, throughout change, but then specifically from a hiring perspective, you're going to be able to attract talent that really aligns to those core values, to that mission. Because in general, people like to have a strong sense of purpose behind their work. Like, yes, it's important to you know do good work and feel like you're compensated well, but giving that extra little piece of you're also having this very strong purpose and impact behind what you're doing is a very powerful way, especially in the early stages where maybe Mm -hmm. you can't compete, maybe compensation-wise or through other pieces, a lot of folks will you know, gravitate towards kind of the challenge of, oh, this is a newer company. I'm going to be able to work on these things. And on top of this, I believe in what we're doing. And that's a really good way to bring in the right types of folks because you have a clear sense of what you're moving towards.
0: Yeah, that's a great perspective, Kimberly. And it seems like having this uh, a diverse um, team can lead to a more creative and effective remote work environment right and speaking Mm -hmm. speaking of which let's let's move on to the next question and talk a bit about the um, about company culture right so Mm -hmm. how can entrepreneurs promote and maintain a healthy culture in remote work settings
1: absolutely so One of the interesting things about culture is culture evolves and changes. And so what makes a culture strong initially may not serve you longer term. So what I've actually found that a healthy culture is really dependent on the fact of welcoming change and understanding it's going to happen at some point. And the other piece is there's this common error that culture is supposed to just sit with a certain team. A lot of times it's the people team. A lot of times it can be the TA team. Let's hire for the, you know, these diverse perspectives, these diverse backgrounds to quote enhance our culture. But it's mm-hmm. not a particular group's responsibility, it's in the entire company. And even more so, I really like to think of you know culture adaptation and just growing in a healthy pace as not only just being the responsibility across the company, but it's specifically hiring leadership that aligns to those core values or that mission, as well as finding your change agents within the org, the ones that can really help other people get on board, the people that other people look to for guidance, perspective, the temperature of the water, Um, and Mm -hmm. being intentional about that and also finding ways to loop them in on, you know, getting feedback on a certain initiative or, hey, we're thinking of hiring in this particular country for these reasons. This is going to impact your team. What are your thoughts on that? What are things that maybe we're overlooking and missing? Because especially when you're thinking of expanding globally, there are all of these other factors to take into consideration. And if you're able to find the leaders that are really tied into that longer-term vision, you find those change agents who feel like they're being looked to and brought into important conversations, that can impact and allow your strategy to be that much stronger especially when you're looking to hire maybe in places you haven't hired in before and there can be Mm -hmm. a lot of different you know cultural barriers language barriers a lot of other things that may not be considered initially
0: yeah that's true and speaking about leadership right and management so uh especially for early stage startups um founders often face challenges when they are trying to you know in in terms of their transition to this remote work. So from your expertise in leadership development, maybe in coaching, right? So what advice do you have for for founders, executives who are in this transition for the first time?
1: Yes. So I think a very common conversation leaders, especially new leaders, first-time leaders, entrepreneurs tend to not have with themselves is be honest with yourself if management is for you people management is a very different set of skills it's having impact through people so it's being able to remove barriers optimize a workspace you know have a clear vision so folks understand what they're aligning towards where their work is going to have impact that's very different than doing the work yourself and kind of the classic Cliche is like a tech startup where it was founded by a couple of, you know, engineers and they're really great at the individual contributor, building the code, Mm -hmm. the framework, but they may Mm -hmm. not necessarily be the best managers. And so being able to bring in outside expertise. To help you assess, for instance, that could be an executive coach. If you are getting funding, there might be a board or resources that you can leverage and having the humility to actually engage with that question, because the sooner you're able to come to terms with, yes, this is actually something I want to grow. It's it's something I'm very interested. Understanding you're going to be having to learn a whole new set of skills is a great way to start that journey because you're going to be starting with that lower ego, that willingness to learn. It can also be the other side of things where you're like, actually, I do not want to lead people. I want to Mm -hmm. just do that individual contributor work. Having that conversation early allows you then to think about, okay, well, maybe we should use some of that funding towards hiring external leaders to be brought in who can do that work, that can optimize the team, that can get that product into a state where we need it. And so that's one critical conversation. The other one I think leaders miss is what are going to be your leadership rituals, So leadership Mm -hmm. rituals are very powerful. We tend to think of rituals in terms of religion, but really what a ritual is, it's a series of actions that will influence a certain type of behavior. In religion, it was usually maybe prayers or something along the lines uh, to promote devotion to a certain religion. Now, rituals themselves can be leveraged in a company space. It's essentially thinking about what behaviors do you wanna foster and what are the practices that you can implement as a leader? So one of my favorite team rituals is one that I learned from a mediator friend of mine, uh, Mark Burrell. Hi, Mark. Um, And it's a um, team agreements Mm -hmm. exercise. And essentially what the team agreements exercise is, is it's a co-created set of behaviors that a team is going to agree to do a certain thing. So whether that's as a team, we want to be more collaborative. As a team, we want to push out product faster. Whatever Mm -hmm. your X is. It's a co-created set of, it's a very short list, I suggest no more than five, where the group mm-hmm. comes together and say, "We want to achieve X. How can we do that? Everybody can you know put out their ideas. Now this can be during a sync call. It can start as maybe a jam board or a mirror board to kind of get things started. But essentially the idea being is these are going to be the behaviors we're going to hold ourselves to. And it's not just the leader holding their team to those expectations. Mm -hmm. It's the team holding the leader to their expectations as well. So it's being able to find some of those core rituals early on and implement them. So no matter how your team grows, whether it's going to hyper growth scale, and you're going to double headcount, if you have those consistent rituals set in place, it's a way to kind of bring in new folks, set expectations very clearly but have a consistency across the company that feels very true to that particular company. Um, And just kind of that, that feeling of, Oh, I belong here. I understand what's, you know, expected from me. I know how I need to show up in different spaces. So the team agreements exercise is one of my favorites, but it's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of different exercises, but leaders thinking about kind of what are those core few rituals that they want to implement and keep consistent as the company grows
0: yeah it's definitely a good one um another important aspect and i guess i i I heard this in one of your interviews Mm -hmm. is uh the importance of feedback right so you talked about it right a lot so with that can you provide some strategies for effectively implementing this feedback loop right so particularly for globally distributed teams so for example in my case i have people in 10 different countries so in for me this one is kind of crucial so i'm just really uh i'm looking forward to to hearing you what what you can say about it
1: absolutely feedback is interesting because it's one of those things that everybody says they want it but maybe not a hundred percent true because unfortunately we're not taught how to engage super well with feedback, how to give effective feedback. I mean, this is something that you maybe learn later in your Mm -hmm. career through different maybe training or L and D resources, but it's not something usually, I mean, unless you've gone to a really cool school that covers it, this is not something that you've been taught how to do effectively. And so because there's this lack of training, lack of understanding of just how to engage with feedback effectively, a lot of times, and I say this in tech all the time, it's like, oh, I just need the right tool. I need, you know, a feedback tool. I need a performance management tool. If I have the right tool, then everything is gonna be solved. Or a lot of times folks go through this very complex, you know, approach of like, I need to get feedback from this, and then I need to combine it with this. And my biggest piece of advice, especially if you're kind of newer entrepreneur and starting to grow a company, start very, very simple and be consistent. And the two areas are focused one-on-ones and team feedback. So for the first one, focused one-on-ones, what I found at Drizzly partnering with Ari Kaplan, uh, he, mm-hmm. Ari's amazing, he focuses a lot on our, our L&D initiatives, is that for folks having two quality feedback sessions a month is critical for a direct report to feel like they are connected to their role, that they understand expectations and they're getting that critical feedback. A lot of times one-on-ones just turn into status updates. How is this thing going? Are you blocked? How can I help you? There needs to be time that's set aside specifically to say, okay, how did that project go? What were your learnings? How do you want to build on this initiative? What are your particular growth areas that you're interested in? Let's check in on that progress monthly. And It's really important because you're focusing on the behaviors, you're focusing on the pieces that's going to demonstrate to the person, oh, this is how my work has impact. This is how I'm impacting my team. I can help them feel more grounded in their role. It also helps leaders be able to step back out of kind of the weeds in day-to-day, and especially for entrepreneurs, you're just a lot of times trying to keep the lights on, bringing customers, trying to evolve your product, that it's very easy to forget to take those couple of steps back and just look at the big picture with your team. The second piece is team feedback. So again, this is where leadership rituals, that kind of framing comes into play. What are those goals, those metrics, those key results that you're going to keep coming back to that you can touch base with your team? So it's not just, again, a lot of times meetings turn into status updates. You can use Slack for that. You can create short Mm -hmm. Loom videos. That shouldn't take up your sync time. It should be. Leaders saying, okay, here were are agreed upon, you know, focus points for this quarter. How are we doing? How are we moving? And mm-hmm. then that's also a way for leaders to be able to say, call out great work, like, hey, by this team spending time on knocking out these, you know, set of bugs, you know, our customers were able to get better accesses and we had less issues there. Um, or being able to create course questions like, hey, it looks like that feedback survey that we sent out. It it only made you know made it to half of our customer base. What happened there? Let's figure this out together. Where feedback becomes just a normal part of the discussion, and the other space too is for it to go both ways. Where you know your director reports feel just as comfortable being able to bring up feedback like, "Hey, I've been hearing this from customers," or "I'm struggling with this. How do we how do we work on that together?" Um, and then the other thing is for leaders. To create space for others to create feedback loops in that team setting. So let's say someone's like, Hey, I see we have these three pieces of data that we consistently look like. I like to build a dashboard so we can have a whole more holistic view so we can look at it in this way. Mm Giving people space to experiment and say, Yeah, let's, let's take a look at that. Let's see if it's going to give us that insight, that feedback so that we can then discuss it and see how it impacts our work and our projects moving forward. So those are kind of the two things that if you're able to nail really effective one-on-ones with your direct reports, have very clear feedback loops in your team meetings, those are habits that can scale as the company grows. But if you don't have those foundational pieces put in at the beginning, the tools won't matter, you know, you may have the best of intentions, but if kind of those foundational pieces are are in there, you aren't going to be setting up your team for success to have a healthy feedback culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing that is kind of connected to, to this prob- to this problem, to this question and that, and I guess you also talked about this, is uh, this importance of in- intentional connections, right? So and how uh, founders, managers, uh, executives um, ensure they're fostering meaningful relationships among team members, despite this physical distance and even potential cultural barriers that they have
1: absolutely so one of the things that leaders need to be very aware of especially as their team gets more distributed is being able to leverage async to really optimize your sync time because the more Mm -hmm. time zones you're spread across that window of being able to actually talk to each other live You know, that can be Slack or it can be, you know, a meeting or a brainstorming session or something along the lines, that window Mm -hmm. really starts to shrink. And so it's thinking about how can we leverage async practices to be able to optimize that that time together. And one of my favorite tools um, is the user manual to me. And um, I just want to make sure I get this right. This was... um, adapted from the book, Brave New Work by Aaron Dignan. And essentially mm-hmm. what it is, is just a series of questions mm-hmm. about the individual. And so this manual is really great, especially if let's say you're getting you know a new team together and maybe you're combining teams that are in different time zones. Maybe there's you know, differences between those, those two groups. It's a series of questions. Some are more fun, like what's, what's a quirk of yours? Down to more, how do I work with this person? Like what type of feedback do you like to get? How do you like to receive feedback? Um, mm-hmm. Those types of questions. And what's really nice is those can be filled out. Everybody does their own section. And then I've led this exercise with leaders that they really liked is once everybody is together, being able to do like a round robin call out. So being able to say, you know, hey, Vit, I noticed in your manual that, you know, you foster kittens. Tell me about that. I'd love to learn more about what got you into that. And then Mm -hmm. once it, then it would be your turn and you notice something in someone else's manual. So there can be, you know, things like that, but it's Mm -hmm. different than like trying to ask those questions in real time. Some people are thinkers and they like to be able to think about those answers ahead of time. Some are better kind of in real time. So small exercises like that to first start connecting the team, Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. making that a consistent expectation of like, there will always be async materials before we sync so that when we actually get together, our conversations are much more in depth, we get more done um, and people leave that space feeling like, oh, that was such a good use of my time. I'm so glad I got to connect with my team, get unblocked mm-hmm. in this area. I know what I need to do you know, for this upcoming project. Mm-hmm. Now, specifically in terms of addressing cultural barriers, really the strongest tools a leader has in their tool bag is to lead with humility and low ego. You are going mm-hmm. to make mistakes. And they're likely not going to be intentional. And so creating a space where it is okay for people to make mistakes is very critical, especially if let's say there are some of those cultural barriers. And there's some ways Mm -hmm. for leaders to be able to build some of that, you know, resilience and also broaden their perspective. So for instance, um, seeking external global communities to be part of I'm Mm -hmm. part of Oyster HR's people builder community. I really love it because I get to meet with people leaders all over the world because at times I can get stuck in my US focused perspective. And it's very easy. If that's where you're living, if that's who you're engaging with on a daily basis, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, right. There's other ways to approach this. There's other you know um, perspectives I could be leveraging. But you have to be intentional about wanting to seek those out. The other piece is hiring that expertise or maybe... Um, hiring in those specific areas to actually get that expertise from the people who are living those realities day in and day out. It also Mm -hmm. can be from a consultant who specializes in cross-cultural connections. Um, But the biggest thing is if you're a leader, if you happen to make a mistake, just own up to it. Um, Our team actually had at Drizzly, um, our org dev team actually started the practice of this very silly thing called whoops, the monkey killer whale. And so Mm -hmm. what we would do is whoops the monkey is if you had a mistake you made, you would just, you know, well, virtually raise your hand, Mm -hmm. say what your mistake was. And at the end of it, we all would vote on our favorite mistake. And then if you win, (laughs) you get like a little little whoops the monkey background. And then killer whale is also kind of same idea, but wanting to praise somebody else. And in cases like that, like a cultural one could be, whoops, I accidentally scheduled a team meeting during this particular holiday in this country. That was my mm-hmm. fault. I actually met with that person. They told me a little bit about that holiday and I can see why it's so important to them. Mm-hmm. They shared these certain practices and then turn it over to the person like, could you tell us a little bit more about how you spent the day with your family, what what you got to learn? So you can actually leverage mistakes as mm-hmm. a way to open a door for somebody to bring in understanding, you know, new ways of thinking um, or just cultural references that may not have been obvious. So for leaders, if you're able to just lead with that humility, be willing to make those mistakes, you're going to be stronger for it in the long term.
0: Absolutely. Um, those are, you know, some excellent suggestions for building the strong connections and I'm probably implement a few of them in my team. Thank you. It's good. <laughs> so. i got resources
1: i can send them to you just let me know
0: perfect love it yeah uh and as we as we uh wrap up uh, so let's touch on the topic of um global hiring for for founders who are doing this for the first time right so based on your extensive experience in remote work and global hiring what are the top three things entrepreneurs and probably executives should be aware of or consider before they start hiring uh, talent from all around the world
1: absolutely uh, so the first thing is ensure that your global hiring strategy actually matches your business needs because okay. it can be very, very tempting to be like, oh, well, I can hire in this country. I can do this. I mean, the technology and just access to be able to work remotely has definitely mm-hmm. you know, provided access to be able to hire globally, but that may not actually be the best thing for your company. So let's say you're in that kind of smaller stage and you find actually we have a core customer demographic in this particular country. It'd be really great to have engineering support or customer support mm-hmm out there that's local to that community, both from just an accessibility perspective where people can access people in their country, but also from maybe a cultural perspective Mm -hmm. or maybe something that can help enrich that experience for those specific customers or users. Mm -hmm. The second piece is being very clear on the cost of doing business when hiring globally. I mean, what's great is companies like yours and others are starting to spin up to really, you know, mitigate a lot of that complexity because Mm -hmm. there's so many legal financial implications. I mean, I think back to when I first started working, you know, at Olark, there really wasn't a ton of, you know, best practices versus now I'm at Drizzly, like there's a lot more best practices out there. There's a lot of, you know, conversations around, you know, compensation modeling. How do you do that when you're, you know, across so many countries? There's more information and resources out there. But what can be hidden is what is the dollar and time amount that's actually needed. So a good example is at my past company, um, they hired an engineer. And just in an offhand conversation with my, one of my execs, they said, hey, this engineer wants to go work in this country for like three months. That should be fine, right? And he was a mm-hmm. US-based employee. At the time, I was like, I'm not entirely sure. Let mm-hmm. me check in on that. And so because we were a smaller startup, we specifically had you know a legal firm and a finance firm that we worked with because right. it didn't make sense for us to have that in-house and so i pitched them my policy and I, how i thought we could frame it both of them came back to me and said honestly we don't quite know let us look into this for you we have not gotten this question before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so in the end after you know quite a few iterations we found a policy you know that worked across our company um, since it was for personal travel, that's a very different process than if let's say we sent them for business reasons. So there are a ton of complexities in there. So just make sure you either have that expertise in-house or be able to hire outside companies, firms, mm-hmm. consulting agencies to help you do that because you do not want to be you know, hit with you know taxes, financial implications, legal implications down the line that you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece of it is when you're thinking of in- investing in talent globally, remember you're not just investing and in getting people through the door, you're investing in the entire employee life cycle. So that's from when the person comes in, their time during the company to the time that they exit. And so that can be very right. different depending on the stage of the company, you know? A scrappy startup that, again, is just trying to like pull in the customers, get that funding, that employee lifecycle will look differently versus maybe like a B, C, D, you know, funded company Mm -hmm. um, that may be working on investing kind of in, you know, longer term strategy, longer term people processes. Those are different states. But being aware that it is a full cycle because. A lot of times, the thing that's not planned for is succession planning, that that person may get the skills that they need and they're ready to to move on because there's no longer opportunities with the company that align to their overall career path. So it is in some senses planning that everybody is going to leave at some point. So thinking about holistically of like, okay, I'm bringing people in the door. Let me think about their entire journey all the way Mm on to when they ultimately exit the company
0: okay yeah you should think in a kind of long term i agree with that um so i guess i guess we're good so thank you for sharing your expertise on remote work on global hiring and culture i appreciate that very much and i'm sure our listeners uh will find this conversation extremely helpful as they kind of navigate the world of remote work thank you very much
1: absolutely thank you Beth.
0: thank you